millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What happens uh, also is that the companies then have to uh, build a um, comprehensive privacy program that uh, then... Uh, for a period of 20 years and, and they have to be audited annually. So um, so consequences are pretty dire if you think about it. Uh, if you're not telling the truth about the data, your data collection practices. Make sure that when your programmers make changes into your code, uh, that when they make those changes into, their, into the code, make sure that it's reflected in the privacy policy. So, so kind of like the, the developers, the programmers, the, uh, they have to do the work hand in hand with the company management to make sure that, you know, what we state in our privacy policy is actually true. There's a lot that comes into play when we pair beacons with mobile apps and the sensors that we have on our mobile devices. And there's a huge change undergo, uh, underway in Europe right now. In 2018, there's a new general data protection regulation, or GDPR, and also the fines will increase significantly for violations. So we're looking at potentially fines of 4% of worldwide annual turnover for, uh, for larger companies, multinationals. Well, that's going to concentrate so. your mind. listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System with Steve Statler. So welcome to episode 15 of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System. Uh, and this week we are going to be talking about privacy in some depth with the author of the privacy chapter, uh, from our book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the, the Beaker System. So my name is Steve Statler of Statler Consulting. We do this in partnership with Proxbook. Um, and a kind of Proxbook alumni is our, our guest, uh, Jano Vanta, who is partner of Berenius Attorneys based in New York, but with a very cosmopolitan accent. Uh, Jano, welcome to the show. Thanks, really much appreciate it. Great to be here today. Yeah, and I really appreciate you writing that chapter. I often joke to people that uh, actually your chapter is worth the price of the book. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, you're a lawyer and you focus on, uh, on, on privacy. Can you tell us, um, you know, a little bit about your history with, uh, with the subject? Sure. I'm not going to go through my entire resume, but just to summarize on privacy, I've been working on privacy-related matters and both Europe and in the United States for uh, about 12 years now. And uh, 
I've been dealing with all kinds of companies, privacy issues ranging from just industrial conglomerates who work across the world to mobile apps that put apps out on the app store. So it just runs to gamut. Really been a kind of a broad experience and all kinds of interesting privacy issues. And why did you decide to focus on the area? Well, I, well I've always loved technology and, and I've always bought the latest gadgets, the whole thing. But then I, it, it was when I was you know, studying law, uh, it was an emerging practice area. And, I, and given my interest in technology, uh, I thought it was a good fit and it's been the growing as a practice area uh, ever since. Well, you're a very good writer as well as um, a, 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 an accomplished lawyer from everything I can tell as a, a lay person that spends a lot of time with lawyers. Um, and um, so you did a fantastic job in writing the chapter. And I kind of read it and I thought, wow, I feel really well informed now. What's Yano going to do? He's like not going to get any, any clients. What, what is it <laughs> that you end up doing as part of your privacy practice? Why do people retain your services? Well, I mean, you know, uh, beacons and, and related technologies is just uh, one area of this uh, kind of broader range of issues. And for example, I built a lot of uh, just what you'd call them comprehensive privacy programs for companies that are involved with data. And there's, you know, just, just in recent years, there have been many companies who whose only business is data. Uh, and so they need to have uh, a a compliance program because they're dealing uh, with data globally. They need to understand local laws. So we tried to build a build a uh, program for privacy compliance that fits the needs of that particular company. And then, then there's you know day to day things like drafting privacy policies for mobile apps and websites. Uh, that's what I do a lot. And, and, and you always have to have your own uh, privacy policy for the kind of app and kind of data collection that you do. And so no copy-paste jobs. And uh, then, of course, when companies have to deal with regulators, uh, if they have uh, compliance issues or questions, then I also interact on behalf of clients with the regulators. And then uh, one of the major um, challenges, I would say, for companies that are operating globally is that different countries in the world have these restrictions in how you can move data out of those um, countries to other countries. And, and I help companies comply with those um, restrictions and make sure that when they transfer data from, uh, for example, from the EU to the US, they do, a, do so in a compliant way. Excellent. And that actually is a great lead into the rest of our discussion. And what I would like to do today, talking with you, is, is really dig into why um, entrepreneurs should give some thought to, to privacy, especially in this beacon proximity ecosystem. And then we'll talk a, a bit about the US, the EU, and a, to, if we have time, uh, Asia Pacific, just kind of get a sense of what the differences are. And then uh, I think, you know, the meat of it, uh, or probably the... Um, the, the final piece is what, what are the best practices? What is it that people should be doing? So let's, yeah. you know, let's start off with why should a ecosystem entrepreneur care about privacy? Well, I mean, you know, as we both know, I mean, beakers themselves are, are 
certain dumb devices, uh, they don't really collect any data. But when you have a mobile app that interacts with the beacon, the um, the amount of data uh, is, is is quite extensive um, that can be generated. So when we understand that, we understand that we need to tell you know the users of mobile devices about the types of data that, that are being collected, where the data goes. Uh, what, what are the purposes of its use and all that, and and so we really are are are, are then we understand that this are, the privacy actually quite uh, cuts quite close to the, uh, the 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 beacon world and beacon system. I mean, what let's let's uh, spread a little bit of fear to concentrate people's minds. If people don't do this, what what can happen? Well, all right. So um, first of all. Um, if you know, we're, 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 we have to talk about different countries and, and, and different uh, jurisdictions, like the lawyers say, in a different way. And for example, in the United States, uh, the um, one of the key enforcers of, of the the law on consumer protection is um, is the Federal Trade Commission, uh, based in Washington D.C. And they monitor uh, what uh, lawyers call consumer disclosures. So, for example, uh, privacy policies that companies put up on their websites or mobile applications, right? And and uh, there have been several cases over the last uh, couple of years where, for example, companies that are in the Bico system or, or near the Bico system, so to speak. So, for example... Um, in-store um, tracking uh, companies or, or or Wi-Fi tracking companies that uh, that have told something in their privacy policies, but which wasn't in, in fact true, and and then the FTC investigated them, and they ended up um, uh, entering the settlement orders, and had to pay um, serious fines. We're talking uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, and. What happens uh, also is that the companies then have to uh, build a um, comprehensive privacy program that uh, then uh, for a period of 20 years and, and they have to be audited annually. So um, so consequences are pretty dire if you think about it, uh, if you're not telling the truth about the data, your data collection practices. So it can be expensive if you get caught doing something different to what you tell people you're going to do. And um, if you kind of took the shortcut because you hate red tape, you could actually end up having a lot more red tape than you ever th dreamt of. Exactly. And what I always tell my clients, for example, in a mobile app space is that make sure that when your programmers make changes into your code, uh, that when they make those changes into their into the code, make sure that it's reflected in the privacy policy. So, so kind of like the, the developers, the programmers, the, uh, they have to do the work hand in hand with the company management to make sure that, you know, what we state in our privacy policy is actually true about what the, what types of data we collect. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's a real team effort because you've got to have like the product manager, the programmer, uh, the, the lawyer, the marketing yeah. guy. I mean, everyone is going to have to pitch in and the finance guy needs to sign off on actually spending time and money on this. And exactly. So, exactly. so it's not, oh, let's just get, let's go to... Uh, Berenius and get a privacy policy job done. It's actually more than that. And I think the other thing that uh, just really struck me, because I know that, you know, I, I've 
started startups, and I know that you have to, you know, focusing on just survival. Um, yes. But you know what we've already seen in the beacon ecosystem is, aside from all those other bad things, the expense, the hassle, uh, all that stuff, you can have your beacons taken down. So you can have local government mayors saying, "No, not in my city," uh, and and that's just that's that's not good. Okay. What happened? I happened here in New York City in connection with these phone booth beacons that they were installing. They had to be taken out as well because of this just public concerns about the the privacy aspects. So it's it, it is a you know it's really happening. So um, okay, hopefully that's kind of got people's attention. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess the other thing that is sort of interesting about this privacy stuff is that. We're in an age when people are publishing naked pictures of themselves on Facebook. So, uh, you know, that would be the kind of the counter argument, I guess, is why the heck are we worrying about all this stuff when these, you know, it's the kids are going to be taking over and they're all naked on Facebook anyway. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, if we like, if we think of data collection and, you know, privacy is essentially, don't want to go into the legal philosophical aspects of it too much, but what what studies have found that uh, that uh, teenagers uh, uh, are actually very concerned about the data being collected from or about their devices and themselves. So they actually do read some of the privacy policies that, you know, maybe more senior citizens would not uh, read uh, yeah. at all. And they're concerned about the privacy practices of these apps that they use. So, for example, like, you know, that your you know, pictures will stay out there only for a certain amount of time, that, you know, they, they don't collect too much information for ad purposes, things like that. So I, I think that while, yes, I mean, as such, like people can disclose more about themselves on social media and things like that. But then, for example, the data collection that's going on, uh, on sort of underneath the surface is, is, a, is a concern for, for, for these younger people. Well, and I think the thing that has struck me as someone who's worked for a beacon company uh, is you can, you can accept that, oh, 99% of people do not write uh, do not read the, the privacy statement. I think in your chapter you say you could probably copy and paste the text from Mein Kampf and, and people wouldn't know. But the problem is 1% of the people do and we've got this thing called social media and so then it goes from this very esoteric thing to something that gets boiled down and everyone jumps on the bandwagon and it's pretty ugly yeah. at that point. Uh, one last thing before we get into what's happening around the world in terms of the, the, the rules. Um, you know, I, what, what a lot of Beacon entrepreneurs say is, hey, well, Beacons, actually, they don't track you. They're just broadcasting data. Therefore, privacy isn't an issue for us. Can you kind of give that a quick run through and tell us whether that is just uh, rubbish or, 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 or... Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as I, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, 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 Beacons themselves don't really engage in much data collection. But... When you have a mobile app that interacts with a beacon, there's a whole lot of data that and data collection taking place. For example, if we add meaning or context to those beacons uh, uh, through software, uh, we can actually um, extract uh, a lot of data. For example, what the person is, for example, physic in the physical world, 
you know, all kinds of things that they've, they've looked online, uh, kinds of advertising, maybe potentially even like if, like once there's enough segmentation around the beacons, for example, you can tell where in the store they are. So there's a lot of stuff that, that, uh, that, uh, that beacons help in accessing. So, so there are the privacy issues. And for example, then we come to, for example, if there's location data, we know where the, where the mobile device is in the physical world. Then we generally, the general rule is that we have to obtain opt-in consent for the collection of location data. That applies pretty much uh, both in the European Union and in the United States. And if there's sharing of that data with third parties, for example, for advertising purposes, generally we have to tell these users of these mobile devices this data collection is taking place and, you know, it can potentially be shared with others and all that. So there's a lot that comes into play when we pair beacons with mobile apps and the sensors that we have on our mobile devices. Got it. So to, to the degree that you're creating software that uses the beacons, then that's when the issues arise. And, and I think it is fair to point out to people that beacons aren't tracking. So it's not like... Uh, it's, it's not like Wi-Fi um, tracking where you are listening in, but that doesn't absolve you because almost certainly you have some software there and that's where you need to be very careful. Well, let's, let's kind of look at the difference between the US, Europe and Asia Pacific. And uh, you know, having grown up in the UK, I was always, I tend to default to, oh, we do things better in Europe and look, we've got this great privacy legislation. But so, first of all, are there any privacy laws in the U.S., or is it just chaos? <laughs> well, the U.S. laws are more sectoral in nature. It's kind of a cliche that we privacy lawyers tend to repeat that the U.S. laws are sectoral. There is no overarching regulation like there is in Europe, where currently there is what is called the Data Protection Directive. It's been enforced since 1995, basically, and then... And, and, all these national laws that the 28 member states implement that, and that governs all processing of personal data. Okay, so just so we kind of we're talking about Europe, and just to kind of make sure I'm absorbing it. So there's a EU directive, yes, and the actual legislation is within each of the member countries. Right. But, and in the US, we don't have the equivalent of that kind of national, yeah. all-encompassing law. Yeah. So we can do whatever we like. And no. <laughs> First of all, um, well, and then uh, just going back to the a little bit, uh, there's a huge change undergoing uh, underway in Europe right now. In 2018, there's a new General Data Protection Regulation or GDPR that basically, because the directive means that it's implemented in national laws, and there's all kinds of differences between the member states. Although the background is the same for every every one of these laws, but after, in 2018 there should be uniform regulation throughout all the mem EU member states, and also the fines will increase significantly for violations. So we're looking at potentially fines of four percent of worldwide annual turnover for uh, for larger companies, multinationals. Well, that's going to concentrate so, your mind. <laughs> yeah. But, but so, yeah, coming back to the U.S., so, so yeah, there's all this sectoral also, for example. Um, uh, what cuts close to home for, for big system companies, for example, is uh, COPPA, which is Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Um, and uh, it basically uh, uh, prohibits the collection of personal 
personally identifiable information related to children without uh, affirmative parental consent that's been obtained in advance. So this so, is the bane of Disney's life, isn't it? They're definitely trying to make money, and then basically it's really, really hard. But, but for example, there was a case um, um, just um, this past year um, that the FTC um, entered into an agreement uh, with a company that was uh, collecting um, Wi-Fi data um, from children's mobile devices um, and, and, and did not obtain parental consent for doing so. And, um, and, and, and so it, it, there are laws that are important, but, uh, and, and, and then also just because I talked about the FTC, so the FTC can monitor all these consumer disclosures about, so what, what because ecosystem companies are telling consumers about their privacy practices. And then also states attorneys general have a jurisdiction to, um, uh, enforce consumer disclosures. So again, privacy policies, and it's not, not just at the federal level. And then we have a lot of self-regulation because uh, the, the, the advertising industry has kept the legislators at bay, so to speak, um, by creating um, actually very well-developed uh, self-regulatory um, uh, schemes for, for mobile advertising. Uh, and internet advertising, for example, the network advertising initiative has a code of conduct, and digital advertising alliance has uh, has um, uh, rules for for um, for companies on, on 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 mobile and internet advertising, and so and and then those rules apply to the, uh, the the codes apply to the membership of those organizations. And so, um, and they're pretty pretty strict in enforcing uh, the the those those uh, the rules included in those codes and, and model model rules um, on their membership. Okay, but going back to the FTC, so there's some legislation that impacts collecting data from children, and these mm -hmm. days children have phones, so uh, that, that's material. It's not something that can be ignored, but. Can the FTC, if there are, if the FTC is, are, are they offering advice, guidance, or can they actually? How can they find you if there are no, if there's no federal uh, law about opt-in and, uh, and and. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All the other things that you should be doing. Yeah, well, the FTC um, um, basically enforces uh, law that 
uh, prohibits unfair or deceptive acts in uh, in or affecting commerce under the FTC Act Section Five, and unfair or deceptive acts, for example, are privacy policies that don't tell the truth to consumers about data collection practices. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 how the FTC gets to you. Uh, uh, usually if you're uh, in, in this eco space and you're not telling the truth to consumers about your data collection practices. Right. So you kind of got to have a privacy policy because otherwise you'll be called out. I mean, Better Business Bureau, they won't give you a rating unless you have a privacy policy. So you, yeah. you kind of have to have one and then they get you if you say something and you don't actually do it and they can actually find you serious money and uh, before we kind of move on to to europe what, what what's your prognosis on the likelihood of actually having clear legislation because it seems like al franken one of his you know big causes is is trying to put something in place but nothing ever seems to happen uh well uh, I would, I would, I would wait and see. You know, there's, for example, it's interesting what, and this ties to Europe. And so, Europe 2018 is going to have this kind of overarching uniform law. And right now, uh, just in the beginning of August, uh, we finally have this EU-US privacy shield for companies that are operating um, uh, between the EU and the United States and transferring data across the Atlantic. So gradually, I think that the, the, these European initiatives are actually going to have an impact on, on, on U.S. legislation, either directly or indirectly, but, but they're definitely going to generate uh, um, more effort to have similar laws in the United States as well. And, and, and of course, depending on what happens in the elections this November, um, some of those initiatives could, could advance faster than, 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 than thought. But I, but I do think that, there, you know, that these self-regulatory initiatives that the U.S. industry has developed have, have um, Tamp down a little bit these initiatives on 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 on, on having a, a, a sort of a federal law on, on privacy. Okay, so um, let's just go. You've talked about Europe already, uh, twenty eighteen, and the fines potentially going up. But what what are the kind of what's the quick summary of what the European directives are actually mandating? Um, can you go through? Well, for example, you know, the, one of the key differences. I'm not going to go through everything. It's uh, but um, but one of the things I would uh, mention that often comes up when when I talk to clients is uh, the the U.S. concept of PII, so personal identifiable information, right? Uh, so it's uh, construed fairly narrowly. So you're talking about you know the uh, addresses, email addresses, uh, social security numbers, credit card numbers, things like that. Uh, in Europe, the concept of personal data is much broader. So, for example, the courts and the enforcers of these European data protection laws have interpreted uh, that personal data can be, for example, a cookie or a device identifier, or an IP address, or uh, because it's it's re with reasonable effort you can you can determine who the person, actual person, is behind those. Uh, uh, behind those identifiers, so that, so there's there's already a sort of a cultural and, and, and a normative difference between the EU and the US. So the, in, in the US, the understanding of what is this personal information is kind of narrow, and and and, and so uh, and then 
the other thing is that you know in Europe all processes of personal data like anyone who processes personal information is covered by covered by these laws in Europe uh, and uh, in the US again uh, the scope of these laws is is not not countrywide or, uh, or 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 covering all companies um, using personal identifying information for business purposes. And it seems like they have a lot more specific rules in place in terms of actually keeping data and what data you can keep. I, I, I right. There's all kinds of laws and rules in place about how long you can retain the data, whether you even actually have any basis for processing the data at all. Um, there's all the lists of, uh, of, 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 of legal bases under which you can process personal data. And if you don't have one of those, you can't. So, so that uh, already cuts out a lot of companies that uh, have data aggregators. Uh, if you don't have a legal basis for that per processing, that so. is a, that's a really good point. And I think you know, there's many a business model in this space that where the value is in the data, and so they're kind of. I think the entrepreneur wants to accumulate as much data as they can, but we also try and build our services and products with a minimum viable product. So. You know what you're doing today may not justify you actually accumulating the data. So that might that sounds like it's a tricky problem, especially if you're yeah. in Europe. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's just talk about Asia Pacific very very briefly. Is there? I mean, is it? Is there any consistency to the rules there, or what do we do as a as a software services company that's trying to go global, uh, and what, how should we be thinking yeah, about AP? Yeah, I mean, I, if, or if we stay in the Beco system, for example, I think that one of the, if there is any consistency, the um, the consistency is basically there's uh, two points. There's a general there's a general agreement about them. One is that. If and, and beacons help in getting, uh, especially when you add you know mobile apps and, and segmentation around those beacons, you add context to beacons. They they, they do generally give you precise location data uh, about you know, where this mobile device is located in the physical space. So both in the EU and in the US, and also for example in Asia Pacific, Japan, uh, Korea. Uh, the you have to get opt-in consent to uh, to um, access precise location data, and then then the, uh, another thing that's sort of fairly common is that that if you're accessing any sensitive personal data, sensitive PII, what is sensitive differs a little bit, but you can generally talk about you know things like health. Um, Sexual preferences, um, um, things like that, that that that, uh, that uh, a person uh, would not want to disclose in public. Uh, that you should not either, you know, direct advertising or 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 uh, collect such data in the first place without having that person's opt-in consent. And, and then, for example, in the U.S., the advertising industry guidelines generally. And don't allow, or the codes of conduct don't allow for for segmentation of advertising based on sensitive data categories. Interesting. Okay, well, that's I think a good step towards what are the best practices, and you do a great job of summarizing them. And we're kind of running short on time, so we'll quickly go through these. And it seems like I know because I read your chapter several times that consent is a key thing. How should beacon owners be gaining consent? 
Well, first of all, I mean, if you think about like the what is a beacon owner? I mean, there's uh, companies that are installing beacons, and there are companies making use of those beacons uh, through mobile applications, right? And and then there are, for example, uh, you know, uh, property owners, uh, you name it. But in any event, the the how the interaction to consumers takes place is through the mobile device, right? So. Um, uh, the mobile devices themselves already have kind of robust um, uh, mechanisms for accepting data collection through, through um, or by with the help of beacons. Uh, they ask you if you can, uh, if you uh, uh, agree to the uh, collection of your location data. They keep asking it throughout the lifecycle of the app on your phone, and then. Uh, some apps also tell you about why location data yeah, it would be helpful to the person's experience with the app. And then there are also opt-out mechanisms in place so the consumer can, for example, disable location service on their phone, disable them for a particular app, and things like that. So those are, devices are already helpful. It gives consumers a lot of tools to control this kind of data collection. But then what is important that the ecosystem, meaning the companies installing the apps, mobile devices, uh, using the app, using—I mean, the companies installing the beacons, the apps making use of those beacons, and then the third parties who then collect data in the background—they have a coordinated chain of custody for the data, and each, each in that chain of custody has proper disclosures in place about data collection. So, the, But the mobile app, of course, is at the forefront with the consumer and has to make sure that the consumer has a clear understanding of the types of data collection, of course, opt-in for collection of location data. So that that's a key, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so 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 very quick, simplistic. Should we be opt in or opt out? What's the obviously as a marketeer, I'd prefer to just give people the opportunity of opting out and default that they're opted in. Can I do that? Yeah, I mean we should we should be opt in. Uh, we should be opting for at least for the collection of location data. I mean, there's of course other types of data that are being collected uh, in connection with um, with mobile apps as well. And there, the key is privacy policy. Make sure that what you state in your privacy policy is actually true and corresponds with the reality. Okay. What about notice? So, what does notice mean? And does that mean I need to have signs up in the stores, just like I have signs up that say there's a security camera? Do I need to have signs up that say, hey, we've got beacons in here? Well, the technology is constantly developing, and of course, you know, giving meaningful notice will change over time. What that means right now might be a completely different thing a couple of years down the line. I'm not sure if we're going to see too many signs because people tend to, uh, to um, uh, there was a study actually about it, people don't tend to notice such signs or they tend to ignore them in the retail environment if there are any, because they don't even understand what the symbols mean really right. uh, uh, generally. So again, here the key is mobile disclosures, I think, uh, and going forward, I think we'll, uh, this will uh, remain the case because the mobile device, the consumer is holding it, the consumer is holding the app, so the Prominent disclosure in the app is, is I think, is going forward still remains the, the key solution to provide notice. And is it okay if I have like 
huge amount of small print and uh, I, I have you know a lot of legal jargon or uh, do, do I actually have to put it somewhere where someone might actually read it and use words that people might actually understand? Yeah, it has to be. It has to be prominent. It has to be clear. It has to be written in a language that it, uh, uh, even a you know almost a child could read, so that it, it it makes clear what data you're collecting, what purposes do you use the data for, how long do you keep the data, and who do you give the data to, who do you disclose it to. Those are the sort of the key elements, uh, and and it has to be updated um, as as uh, data practices develop over time. Okay, and you know the the thing that I find most difficult to understand is this issue of who does what in a very complex ecosystem. So you have the person that owns the beacon, the person that owns the app, the person that owns the data. There may be several people that owns the own think that mm -hmm. they own the data. Um, how if I'm a, a data management platform that's plugged into a programmatic advertising network. Mm -hmm. How on earth can I meet my obligations when it's not even my app? Well, I mean, if you're not consumer-facing directly, if you're what is called a third party, of course, you have to obtain reasonable assurances contractually, for example, that uh, those in the chain of custody of that data have, you know, probably have given proper notices, have obtained opt-in consent for collection of location data, and make sure that you use the data only for such purposes that, that consumers have been told about. So, for example, if you use the data for advertising, uh, we, should we should verify, for example, the apps collecting the data have told consumers in their privacy policies that, you know, this data can be used for, for example, for third-party advertising. Okay. So it's got to be in the, not only has it got to be in the customer facing agreement, but it's got to be in the agreement between the data broker and the, all the people they're connected yes. in. And maybe it's going through a couple of links in that chain of custody and responsibility. Yes. Who owns the data? So I mean, ideally, I, I mean, you know, who owns the data? I mean, I, I, I think it, it's more that uh, who's responsible for the data, okay. uh, and, and, and we're all responsible for the data that we're collecting uh, through our mobile apps and beacons and, and all those. So we're, we're the custodians of that data for those purposes that we've told consumers that we use for the data for. So I think, um, you know, this this only philosophical debate whether you own the, your personal data or your, your PII, but um, but I still think that the what uh, serves the 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 industry industry better is is that that we have to understand our responsibilities for for this data and, and protect it well and, and, and use it for only for such purposes that we've told consumers that we'd use it for. And then uh, let's see. I think just two last questions uh, before we wrap up. So one is just say a little bit more about the security obligations we have. So you talked about the restrictions in terms of gathering really sensitive data, but um, you know what what should be people be thinking? How much security is enough security when I'm guarding a bunch of personal data about where people have been, where the, what their movements have been? Um, you know, it, um, 
Um, I would say that the uh, on the security side, of course, uh, the uh, uh, the level of security depends on the type of data that you're 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 collecting, and uh, and then there's also a saying that uh, um, everybody's been hacked; they just don't know it. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> So, um, so um, I mean, I, one could argue that in, in real reality, no security is sufficient security because systems can always be hacked. Uh, but, um, but uh, you know, take industry standard measures to protect personal data. You know, uh, you only give access to to any personal data that you uh, process, including, for example, like device IDs and things like that that can be accessed through the because system. Uh, and 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 generally, uh, the um, um, if you make security promises uh, on your privacy policies, uh, um, make sure that you can actually actually um, uh, meet those promises in reality. Not many companies can do, and then they run the risk of of, of being sub to FTC enforcement because they've lied to consumers about their data security practice. There are several cases on this topic that the FTC has dealt with on, on very large global companies. So, so um, and, and therefore, uh, don't promise that you're going to keep uh, you know your users' data safe forever. Um, uh, so, it's, it's just something to remember. Yeah, be careful what you promise seems to be one of yeah. the underlying themes. And you've actually already talked quite a lot. At the same time, you know, you, you, you know, keep up to date with your, your data security technologies, keep your data in secure databases, all those things, of course, are basic things that you should be doing, but, 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 but don't overpromise on security. Got it. And then, uh, I don't know, is there anything more to say about where this goes in the future? You've already talked about the, where the EU is headed and uh, who knows what the UK is going to be doing uh, when it, if and when it leaves the EU, but well, any other thoughts about where this is headed in the future? Well, I think that, you know, this, I mean, beacons are, if we, if we talk about beacon system again, I, you know, there's just so many things we could talk about where the where future of privacy is going on, but then beacon system, I think, you know, beacons are just going to be uh, uh, spreading everywhere. So, uh, and, and at the industry level, we have to think about how we resolve this issue of, of, of for example, meaningful notice to consumers. As you know, it could be surprising to consumers when they walk into a physical space, for example, a supermarket or a mall, and then there's all this data collection going on there. So we have to we have to come up with uh, solutions and how to tell people about this, but also tell people about the benefits of, of, of beacons because there are really many useful uh, uh, useful benefits. For consumers on um, beacon technology, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I know that one of the things you've been working on is uh, the idea of having a central place where folks can go to to actually see what data is being collected. And that, to me, I'm an idealist. I think that's a great idea. And uh, uh, you know, we just need to make it easier for people to yeah, do this. Yeah, it has to work in practice. So, so again, uh, as an industry, we have to come up with a solution that that works because uh, we can't provide an opt-out that applies to other, you know, proximated technologies and basically anything, for example, cookies and things like that on, on, on the Internet, uh, that we have to provide opt-out mechanisms that work. Uh, kind of 
health measures are not going to satisfy the consumers. They're just going to be uh, uh, pissed off because you know they they thought that you know they're that the software worked, and then they see their device side is appearing elsewhere. So we just got to be you know. Uh, and and, and it, this requires industry level sort of cooperation and coordination. Yeah, and I, so I know Unicast is um, uh, has been doing some work in that area. People should go to their website and check out the uh, the work they they're doing. I think that's a really interesting approach. Well, Jano, thanks so much. Your time is really valuable, and uh, I think this information you've provided us is is very helpful. Appreciate Thank you. Thanks, It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Stephen. And, and thanks for the chapter in the book. Great work. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. How do you feel about going to Mars? If you were told that you had to go there, would that be good news or bad news? Um, a little claustrophobic. So I, I don't know how I would handle the actual trip there. <laughs> okay. Well, it probably wouldn't get much better uh, when you arrive. So um, a reluctant traveler, but you're on there anyway. Um, what uh, if, for some bizarre reason, you could only take three songs? Uh, which are the songs that you would take with you? Well, this is a difficult question because I listen to so much music. I have like, I don't know, 17,000 songs on my iTunes and, and, and more on Spotify that I listen to. But I, I think of three right now. I could say I, I was thinking of Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here and uh, Guns N' Roses' um, uh, pa uh, Paradise City and uh, Alphabell's Forever Young. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, those are great. And uh, Guns N' Roses were actually just uh, here in San Diego just, uh, just a few days ago. <laughs> happy to see them reunite, yeah. All right. And so why did you choose those songs? Well, they're just uh, kind of a good representation of different stages of my life. You know, those songs have played critical roles in, like, in my, you know, teens, 20s, 30s kind of thing. So, All right. so you're a Pink Floyd fan then and, and, well, that, and now, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. I went to Roger Waters in uh, Philly. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.